normally I would say your allies should be somebody that you share some type of commonality with. So if you are a black woman, having a black man with you and supporting and advocating for you in the workplace because men are taken more seriously. Or um, if you're a black woman having a white woman who's an ally for you in the workplace, just because she might be able to elevate a challenge that um, would be seen as, dis or would be dismissed if you were to. And when it comes to labor and delivery, it's different. <laughs> This is Jess, and you're listening to The Pumping Podcast. Mamas, this week, the mama that I was interviewing, I'm not going to lie, I was a little bit intimidated before we started the call. She's a writer, speaker, consultant, it goes on and on. Best-selling author, writer for Forbes Women. Just you wait, you'll hear everything. However, she made me feel a little bit better when she signed onto the call and she was lounging in her bed. I mean, is that a real mom or what? Christine Michelle Carter is a working mama to the core. She's the author of the book Mom AF, where she is on a pursuit to encourage and inspire black women and working mamas everywhere. If she doesn't inspire you, I don't know who will. So without further ado, here's Christine. I am sitting down with Christine Michelle Carter. I have to tell you, I'm a little intimidated here. Okay. Before, I, I need to introduce you. First and foremost, you're a mama of two. First and foremost, you're also a writer, a speaker, a consultant, and a media analyst. You're a two-time bestselling author, associate editor for Modern Mom, and a senior contributor for Forbes Women. You've also been featured in the New York Times and the Washington Post. Holy moly. I'm not going to lie. Like, I'm just a little intimidated. Congratulations on all of these Thank amazing so accomplishments. Much. Thank you very much. And what you all don't see is that she's intimidated by me sitting here in a bra and a jumpsuit <laughs> in my bed. There's no reason to be intimidated by me. Well, that's why I want to talk to you too, because it's all of these amazing things that you've accomplished while being a single mom, which also I just mentioned to you, and I can't even believe that this is a real thing. I'm embarrassed to say it, but you're my first single mom on the Pumping Podcast which single mamas out there, let's chat more, reach out to me. My mom was a single mom for 10 years. So, you know, I, I know what that world is like and you're not represented on this podcast enough. So we need to chat. But here you are with all of these things that you've done and you're still real, you're you, you're sitting in your bed and all is well. It's just, yeah. it's amazing. What a privilege. I'm really excited we get to talk today. Thank you so much. As long as I have my health and my children have my health, I really just try to stay grounded and all is well otherwise. So. Absolutely. So is it safe to say that you have a mission that's to help people and companies understand women that are just like you, Black women and working moms? It is. It's safe to say that. Um, I try to... A little bit more specifically, I'm just trying to change the narrative of what it means to be a mother today in our world and to make the women feel confident and understood. Um, that's probably my North Star and the mission that I've had for many, many years is just to help mothers feel confident and understood. I'm going to put all of the information about you in the show notes. So mamas, you got to check her out. She also has a book out that we're going to talk about in a little bit. There's so many amazing things. 
But before we dive into all of those successes, I want to go back in time a little bit and just focus on your motherhood journey for a second. You know, at the core of every mom, I feel like the challenges, the struggles, the accomplishments, they're all the same. And I want the mamas who are out there listening to hear that you've had some unbelievable successes and you are on such a big, strong mission. But at the end of the day, we're in the same boat here. Absolutely. What was your life like before you became a mom? What What was that like before? <laughs> right. Oh, God. Um, Everyone just, says, easy. Right, exactly. Awesome. <laughs> right. I was going to say, you know, like having sex with no consequences with my husband <laughs> at the time and drinking with no hangover and partying. Um, it was, um, God, and, and, but here's the real is that I can't remember it. And I think that a lot of mothers would agree that it's very difficult to remember what your life was like and what your purpose was before children. And and that's just me being quite honest with you. I want to say that it was all of those things, but quite frankly, I cannot remember what it was like. After I became a mother, though, I became full of purpose in life. And even before I knew that I wanted to be an advocate for other women, I my children gave me the purpose to become an advocate for myself and and to to serve them and and to care about myself a lot more and 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 not take a lot of bullshit that I was dealing with in corporate America. I sure do hope we can curse on your podcast. Oh, bring it on. <laughs> bring it on. We don't restrict mamas here. <laughs> good, 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 good. So when did you become a mom and what was your pregnancy journey like for you? Hideous. And I became a mother in 2011. So I ended up having preeclampsia and delivering at 31 weeks in one day. And my daughter spent a month in the NICU. And if you've ever had any NICU moms on, it is, my heart goes out to them. It's extremely difficult to have to leave the hospital and leave your child there and deal with you know, in some instances, several weeks where you don't really see your child. I was fortunate enough to have four weeks of my child and the NICU, and then she came home, but I was still trying to work at the same time so that I could spend more time with her once she got home. That was depressing. Um, postpartum depression itself, of course, is depressing. I realized that I had anxiety. I worked for a company that was predominantly male, and it was in a tech industry. And they didn't really understand what it meant to have a um, leave policy for mothers or exactly how mothers should be supported in the workplace once they return. So I was pumping in bathroom stalls, community bathroom stalls at that. I was in a business park. So I was pumping with folks oh who I didn't goodness. even work with, right, in a stall. It was so challenging. It, and it became very clear to me, I would say probably within the first year that this is probably the norm for a lot of women and it shouldn't be. And now moving forward, I, it's, I'm going to make sure that their voices are heard and it's not going to be the norm anymore. You know, I, I want to go back more into your family um, and your little ones. But since you mentioned that, I want to bring this up that I, I recently found. In a recent article that you wrote for Forbes Women, it's entitled, Nearly 30 Years Later, It's Time to Revisit the FMLA. And in that article, you discuss the challenges that you're talking about that many women face when entering motherhood. They're sometimes 
forced to have this professional career and sometimes being forced, as you say, to choose to either remain a small business employee or entrepreneur and delay or forego a family or to maintain a career in corporate America just for the benefits of FMLA. And then you mentioned that not only that, but then the marginalized groups of women have it even harder because oftentimes they're forced into entrepreneurship to just get their voices heard and and do what they feel impassioned to do. So what do you think this is? What's a solution to this? Is there one? I think there is a solution to it. I don't ever claim to be someone who practices law or politics. I always say if I was a politician, I'm a sucker for a gift card. So I'd be the most corrupt politician there ever was. (laughs) However, what I try to do is just uncover truths and uncover them so that the masses then uh, write to their to their Congress folks and and say, why is this the case? And, And why are we still having these discussions? But I can't give you a clear-cut answer as to what we need to do. I can tell you, but I think that there's power in showing what a um, what something could be and what something shouldn't be. So I do believe that it should not be what it is currently, which is uh, companies that have 50 or more employees. When you look at the amount of small businesses in our country and the amount of women, especially Black women, who are running those businesses, and they're the ones who are left between this rock and a hard place of, I really want to be a mother, but gosh darn it, I don't have any type of leave or any type of support from uh, my country to be able to do that. Right. Absolutely. And maybe it's a matter of those people in those situations just feeling empowered to stand up for what they need. And I forget who the woman is right now in the article that you quote, but one of them was saying how she, it didn't exist in her company. And so she just yes. happened. Yes, absolutely. She was with Airbnb and it yes. didn't exist. Such a large company right. and it didn't exist. And then she had to turn around and write the policy while pregnant, which blew my mind. But that's, I think, what it is. It's time for us to write the policy because I guess if no one else is going to do it, we might as well. And there are so many instances like that. Um, uh, Gosh, a friend of mine, Sarah Jo Hall, was um, now she's at Workday prior. I cannot remember the company she was at prior, but it was the same instance where she had to write the policy as well. And that's unfortunate. Yeah, it is. It is unfortunate. And it's sad that a majority of companies are run by men oftentimes yeah usually white men and they don't even think about all of these different situations that are going on and i think unfortunately the only way that we're going to have to make some progress on this is for us to do the hard work which is not fair but right yeah it's so i just wanted to bring that up cuz that's an awesome article i can even put that article for you mamas oh, to check you. out yeah i'll put a link to it in the show notes cuz i thought it was really really important and i've talked to some other corporate moms and it's hard it's not easy and then on top of just the normal hardness leaving your baby pumping like all that other stuff then you top top it off with all these other issues and challenges it's like god yeah, and especially this year, it's like oh, this year it's so this year's funny. A whole other thing. Yeah, it's a shit show, but it's it's funny to me because you have mainstream, and I say that mainstream basically being men now noticing all of the work that mothers do and giving them much more empathy in the workplace. But oh, we're gonna put a, a 
global pandemic on top of that. Right. And now you have to homeschool. So we feel bad about everything that you had to go through prior to 2020. But now moving forward, we're going to throw even more on your plate for you to deal with. So you get that empathy for everything, for everything you've done for the past, you know, 100 years or so. You have our empathy. That's that was really bad. We really were asking you to do a lot. But now we also want you to homeschool your children and also survive. And don't be late to that meeting. And right. And don't be late to that meeting. And make sure you you clock all of your hours. Yeah. Right. Crazy. So then going back to your birthing experience, was the birth of your son similar or different to your daughter? It was, uh, it's hard to say. So um, my daughter in labor for four days with that preeclampsia, um, he was not a NICU baby. He was born four years later. However, when he was born, I was conscious, you know, with her, I was unconscious, but I was conscious with him. And, um, but I do remember that the minute that they pulled him out of my body, my blood pressure shot up in the two thirties and I could barely gasp out the words, I need help. And my doctor heard me and my doctor had been extremely empathetic through the whole process, even post when I was told that the reason my blood pressure shot up because I was a woman of a certain age and shouldn't be giving birth at that age. I was 29. I was 29. Who said that to you? The neurologist told me that. Holy yeah. crap. I was 29. So of course my doctor came in and he was like, you know, just, just don't listen to things like that. If you want to continue having babies, continue having babies. And he was just so supportive, but that again, just really goes to speak to the the disconnect with our whole healthcare system. And, and I've written about this, our healthcare system and me as a woman, but especially as a black woman, that we a black woman, we're just not listened to. Um, it, it was it was an incredible experience for me. I'm I'm glad that my my um, gynecologist delivered both kids, and you know he was there with me and and helped me through the whole experience with Maya, and that was traumatic. But the second time around, even though it wasn't as bad, it came with its own set of challenges. But he was still there for me. You know that makes me think of um, I'm reading the book by Austin Channing Brown, and before I started reading her book, I was listening to. A Theo talk that she did, kind of like a TED talk, but mm-hmm. Theo talk. And in that, she talks about how when she was on the way to the hospital, being, you know, rushed by her husband in the car because they had to get there very quickly, she said, you know, we weren't talking about, you know, what the experience was going to be like and how, you know, excited we are that we're about to bear this child, we were having a conversation about what happens if these doctors don't believe me and don't listen to me and I'm not supported. And it's so true because that's something that especially Black women are experiencing and, oh God, my heart just breaks for, for women and mothers and women who are about to do the most noble thing that I think I believe you can do to bring life into this world. And yet they're nervous that they're not going to be trusted and believed about how they feel and what they're going through. Is there something that having gone through those two experiences that were both different, but semi-traumatic, is there something that you would tell, I would say specifically black women out there who are about to go through that experience what would you tell them to encourage them or to use their voice or for those moments? What do they need to hear? Yeah, they need to have an ally in the room. 
And the thing about an ally in this instance, so I speak about allies in corporate America and, I, and this is different. Normally I would say your allies should be somebody that you share some type of commonality with. So if you are a black woman having a black man with you and supporting and advocating for you in the workplace because men are taken more seriously, or um, if you're a black woman having a white woman who's an ally for you in the workplace, just because she might be able to elevate a challenge that um, would be seen as dis or would be dismissed if you were to. And when it comes to labor and delivery, it's different. I'm always going to recommend that uh, a black woman have another black woman like a doula in the room with her. Um, I can think of another instance outside of giving birth where I grew up without having asthma. And right before my 30th birthday, um, I, I don't know, it just hit, but it hit big time to where I was um, spending a week in and out of the ER because they didn't believe me when I was saying I would go home and be having night sweats and couldn't breathe and couldn't get out of the bed. Well, I couldn't breathe. That's what it was. So I would muster up the strength every night to go to the ER for a week straight. And there was, I think it was on a Thursday, they finally decided to admit me. And my husband, he was just like dumbfounded, didn't know what to do, um, was like a deer in headlights, part because he couldn't relate to my experience, part just because he was he was hurt for his wife going through all of this. So it wasn't until I brought my mother into the room and, you know, I had that black woman who was like, this is going to happen. You're going to do these tests and you're going to do that, that they finally realized that, you know, it's 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 asthma and it's getting to the point where she's getting caustic chondritis, where her the lining between her lungs is it's rubbing together and it's causing serious pain. And you need to address her having now severe asthma. But that was another instance where I was just not listened to. And how many hospital bills did I had to go through with going into the ER and then getting discharged, going into the ER and getting discharged. I had to have that ally in my corner. Yeah. And especially when you're at a point when you're about to birth a child, I mean, you're so vulnerable. Oh, you, that's worse. Yeah, right. You need that person to be standing next to you and not only encouraging you, but saying, no, this is what she needs and this exactly. is what she'll get. Exactly. How did motherhood change you? Oh my God. It just, truly defined me and again gave me a sense of purpose professionally it made me somebody who realized I have not built out to be a manager because I can't parent at home and parent in the workplace as well <laughs> kudos to the women who do I don't know how you do it um I always say two kids is my max because even right now I'm in a position where I'm in the sandwich generation and caregiving for my father and he's like a third child and I'm like see this is too much I can single parent two kids I can't single parent three but motherhood definitely made me more of a leader at work it made me a better negotiator um it made me say no personally to a lot of things that I was saying yes to including my marriage um it made me realize that there are some things that I just cannot put up with. And there are people on this earth who need me more than my husband needed me at the time. So it made me overall a stronger individual and a greater contributor to society, I think, because I now have purpose for other women too. Yeah. And you had this focus to put your energy on and no matter what you had to do, you had to do it for them. It, exactly. it, it was a stronger bond that way and, and yeah. purpose, as you say. Mamas, I just wanted to take a quick moment 
to recognize one of my sponsors, HypnoBabies. HypnoBabies is birth hypnosis, how to enjoy your baby's birth in comfort, joy, and love. If you're a soon-to-be mama or know a soon-to-be mama, check out the link in the show notes for HypnoBabies. There's a home study course, there's MP3 tracks, and there's also a few non-birthing tracks as well. How to stop smoking, how to help your toddler sleep, and many, many more. Check out HypnoBabies in the show notes for a 20% off discount, and make sure you use the code PUMPINGPODCAST for a 20% off discount. For more info about HypnoBabies, you can go back and listen to episode 7, where I interviewed the founder and CEO, Carrie Tishoff. She was gracious enough to give my listeners a private code for 20% off. So make sure you use that code pumping podcast. Go check out hypno babies in the show notes. Now back to the show. And what yeah. about as a single mom? Like, I mean, that's such a hard thing to go through, but at the same time, it kind of feels like the way that you're talking about it, that you were stronger doing it that I- way. I was. And, you know, keep in mind, I didn't initially start off as a single mom. And for the women who do, again, I don't know how they do it. Um, But for the critical years, like the first couple of years when you're round the clock feeding, round the clock dealing with children, I did have a husband for those. My husband and I divorced when uh, we separated when my youngest was two and a half. And my daughter was six and a half. And by that point, I got into a groove with them. He was dealing with his own mental health issues that were making it so that for those last year and a half to two years of our marriage, I'd learned to become really self-sufficient. Um, so it, it, yeah, it is, it's, it's harder as a single mom. There are some times where you have to make a lot of critical decisions. And it wasn't until I'll be quite honest with you yesterday until I received child support for the first time. So yeah, so there are a lot of critical decisions that you have to make and you have to constantly be thinking if something happens to me, that could be the end. So I have to make sure that everything is in place for my child financially, emotionally, mentally, you know, from their education perspective, I have to make sure that everything is in place. So God forbid, if their godparents or um, my parents need to step in and take care of the children, that they will still be taken care of. Would you say pretty much that community and other support and other, you know, like family members, is that the key in those type of situations when you're a single mom? It's the key in motherhood. It's really the key in motherhood, period. And people don't get that. So, so many times I see mothers who think that they should be superwoman and try to handle everything for their household and everything for their children. And when I became a single mom, I got over that real fast because (laughs) my kids had to learn to be independent. I couldn't clean up for them anymore. I couldn't clean up after them. They needed to learn how to cook their own meals, like quick snacks and whatnot. I mean, when I tell you, I did everything for my children. And that was a harsh reality and a harsh wake up call because I really wanted to be that protector and be the person who provided for them. And I equated my worth as their mom to doing everything for them. That is complete Mm. bullshit. It's actually better. Yeah, it's better for me to delegate to them and empower them. Um, because then I'm raising better individuals. And I had to learn that. I, I, I had to learn that lesson the hard way. And I wish I would have done that with my husband because that would have probably saved the marriage too. But um, 
tribe is everything. And I feel like we make things harder on ourselves than we need to. So when my aunt would say, if you need me to watch the kids so that you can just have a moment, I can do that. And I'd be like, yes, please. And thank you. And same for my mom. And, you know, when my ex-husband was of sound mind and my horrible in-laws did it, that's fine too. As long as I knew that my children were safe and they were returning to me. (laughs) Um, But a break every now and again is not a bad thing and it does not make you a bad mother. Yeah. I've said this in the past, but my thing is like, you're already a superhero. You've already brought life and a heart into this world and that's already enough. And so reaching out and accepting those gifts of time, even if it's 10 minutes or, you know, whatever it is to just go back to you too. Cause I think that's important too. checking back into, you know, you say it's hard to remember what life was like back then, but you still have to connect back to that soul of who you are. Yeah. So I want to move into your book a little bit. So you're the author of a new book that recently came out called Mom AF. Yes. I love it. I can't wait. I got to check it out. Um, And it's described as you by following your voice as a working mom and your journey to owning your shit, the good and the bad, and redefining what truly makes one sane, strong, and this I think is very important, a sexy mother. That's right. What inspired you to write this book? I mean, besides just everything that you're going through in motherhood, but where did this come from? Yeah. So this book started off years ago as a comparison between my generation and my grandmother's generation, because I found that there was a lot of similarities in how we raised children. And then as I was submitting it to publishers, they were like, well, you have a big following and why don't you just tell your story? And I'm like, I really don't think anybody wants to hear about my story. First of all, I'm in no position to write a self-help book. That's all I kept saying. <laughs> I am no in no position. I will not do that. And if you looked at all of the other titles um, for mothers, it was either teaching them how to parent or showing them how they could be the best mom that they could be. And I see that in a lot of mom groups where they're talking at the moms. Mm-hmm. And I was like, that's not what I'm going to do. That's not who I am. I'm so messed up. And I want, if I'm going to talk about it, I want other women to see that they are messed up too and recognize that it's okay to be messed up. So uh, that's what I wrote. And I cannot believe the overwhelming response to the book. It's, it's incredible. I'm thankful for every single person who has purchased a copy of the book because I never thought that so many women, I mean, I was looking at my Instagram stories the other day and this woman just sent me this video about how much she loved the book and how she saw herself in it. She doesn't even like to read, but the Mm -hmm. fact that she sat down to read the book and it talks about, you know, me dealing with the first time I became a 420 mom and anxiety and raising black children in America and separation and addiction and everything that I talk about. But while, like you said, people don't see that part of my life, they see the best-selling author and all that. All of that's in the book too, but I want you to see that there's a whole nother layer that people don't see. And I want people to to feel confident and understood, understood again. So that makes me feel really good that the book is doing so well. Well, it's been compared to Candace Bushnell's Sex in the City, but from a Black mom's perspective, like, holy crap. That's wild. So wild. I love that so much. What were some key points that you had to include? Like, was there something that demanded to be said in this book? 
I'll tell you, um, everything that demanded to be said, I put in the first couple of chapters. Um, first of all, the the introduction to the book is, is demanded to be said, which was, I'm a mess, you're a mess, let's be a mess together. <laughs> that's pretty much my motto. Um, the first chapter really um, was talking about how I'm this busy person and I lead this successful life, but I even feel like, a, I still feel like an imposter sometimes when I go out because I am this black woman and statistically speaking, minorities and women are the ones who feel like imposters professionally. So I wanted women to get that too, right off the bat. It's like, I still struggle with these moments. Um, the running around like crazy, chasing after kids, having them vomit on you right when you're about to walk out the door. Uh, there was there's just so many different the the comparison uh, comparison being the thief of joy. I was comparing my marriage to my cousin's marriage because I thought her and her husband were so perfect, and um, it wasn't until actually after the book came out that my cousin was like, I can't believe that you thought that because my marriage isn't perfect. But that's exactly what happens is that we all think that we all have these perfect marriages yes. and these perfect children, and it's not until somebody peels back the curtain like I did. Mm -hmm. that we really realize that we're all dealing with a lot of the same issues. Yeah. Especially with social media, you know, we put all these filters on top and exactly. life doesn't need to be filtered. Exactly. And yeah. I think deep down, like I was just, just having this conversation yesterday with some people. I think the, the media, the books, the TV shows, the movies that we all relate to the most, you know, like I think of this as us. There's nothing super deep that happens in those things that we really gravitate toward. It's just showing real life. Like you said, it's showing the messiness. Right. It's showing that grit and it appeals to us because we can see ourselves in it. We can see ourselves in those shoes and women and mothers can see themselves in your shoes, whether they're just a mother you know, a, a corporate mother, a mom working from home, getting vomited on, a black mother, an entrepreneur. It's like, they can all see themselves in you. And that's what I think probably got everyone so excited. Yeah. I'm very thankful. That's so awesome. And I see also all on your social media that you're always supporting other black female business owners, which is such an amazing thing. And, um, maybe I'll ask you to send over a couple, um, links to some, highlights of those if oh, yeah. and we can include those too so we can give some shout outs to those mamas and women and the last thing I want to talk about is that you're the founder of mompreneur and me which is an awesome thing although I'm really bummed because of covid here we are and we can't do the live events but do you want to just tell everyone what this is and I hope and pray that they yeah. can get, get back up and going I know they are. I'm not going to let them go away. Stupid COVID. I'm not going <laughs> to let them go away. And honestly, as my, and this is just me being real with all of your listeners, as my personal brand grows, that just means that more brands are interested in the network that I've built. And that means that I can demand more money for those events and keep those events free for you guys. So those aren't going anywhere. But what Mompreneur Me is, is it's my opportunity to really go across the country and meet different women and help them with professional development skills and learn to network with one another. Because our generation is all about digital connections, but we really suck at networking in person. Um, we go across the country and for one hour, moms and their kids doing hands-on activity together. So it could be anything from storybook reading to just 
playing in a gym. Uh, we did that in Brooklyn, in New York, to cooking classes. And then for the second hour, the moms and the kids break off. The kids, uh, we have CPR trained childcare on site. They continue the activity. And the moms um, work on professional development skills here from female CEOs. And we've had some top female CEOs speak, or they'll do a speed networking round. And it's super, super important to me to continue those events because mothers feel guilty for leaving their kids, even if they're doing so, so that they can advance themselves professionally and provide more for the children, which is mind boggling to me. So I wanted to make sure, and I think that a lot of these tribes and communities miss this insight, the kids have to be there. Mm-hmm. Or we won't find value in it. Mm-hmm. So um, well, I, I think the other the other aspect about that that just came to my mind is then the kids get a little insight into what mom's doing. Absolutely. You know, it's like a bring your kid to work day, and then they understand. Oh, mom has to go to work because she's doing this really cool thing. That's awesome. Absolutely, absolutely. There's there's such power in your children seeing what you do and peeling back the curtain. Um, I'm glad you brought that up because I do try that. That I think that that makes a really big difference in me as a mother too. Is that when I wrote the children's book that I wrote um, for kids, "Can Mommy Go to Work?" That book was written with mommy as the main character, and it was because kids needed to understand the importance of why moms work so hard. My children helped me write that book. So they picked out the characters, they picked out the elephants because they're the most maternal and intelligent creatures in the animal kingdom. They picked out what their characters were gonna wear. They uh, tested the the plot of the story. All of that was critical to me. Um, And it also gave my kids an insight into what I do. And now my kids, like they love talking about the book with their friends. My daughter wears my merch. It drives me crazy, (laughs) but but it's important for them to see what their mother does. Absolutely. Well, I, I'm not yet a mom, but hopefully at the next mompreneur in me, I can get a little slot and come hang out because that sounds like so much fun. I would love to do that. It is fun. Oh yeah. We do fun activities. Yeah. It's so fun. Oh my gosh. This was such a pleasure chatting with you. I'm so grateful that we got to talk, Christine. My last question for you is one that I always end with, and that is what's something that you would like to tell your two little ones now for when they're 18? Oh my gosh. I hope you still love me because by that point, they'll, they will have been able to read all about me and their father's drama and trauma um, they will have been raised by me and they're going to be off in the world. And I hope they still love and respect the decisions that I made. Um, because I didn't get a, I didn't have a handbook. I didn't have a blueprint and I was making the shit up as I went along, just like all the other mothers in the world do. I think they will. You're such an amazing role model. And like you talk about, I mean, I, realness is the most important thing. And I think especially for your daughter to see that and for your son to see that in his mom, a strong mom like that, who's just trying to do good for the world and the other moms and women out there. I mean, what what more could you ask for? So I think that they will. I don't think you have to worry about that. Yeah, I don't think so. Oh, thank you. That is my biggest concern. No. Yeah. Christine, how can people find you? So my website is christinemichellecarter.com. They can find me on Twitter and Instagram at C Michelle Carter and uh, LinkedIn and Facebook, Christine Michelle Carter. Amazing. All those links will be in the show notes as well as a couple little uh, surprise links that I'll put in there. And 
her article that we talked about and all those wonderful things. But what a privilege, Christine. This was just such a wonderful conversation. And thank you for being so open and and real. That's what we like to hear on the podcast. Thank you so much. Thank you so much. The Pumping Podcast is a podcast for moms and by moms. And I am your host. I'm not yet a mama. I'm a mama in training. If you're enjoying what you hear, take a minute on Apple Podcasts to subscribe, rate, and make sure you review so other mamas out there can find us and listen along while they're pumping or breastfeeding. Some fun news for you. We have a private mama network for support and community of mamas. If you'd like to join, email info at thepumpingpodcast.com. Also, if you'd like to be a guest and share your journey into motherhood, email interviews at thepumpingpodcast.com. Follow us on Instagram at thepumpingpodcast. And for any other questions or to connect, check out thepumpingpodcast.com. Thank you so much for spending some of your day with me. You light me up and inspire me. And share the podcast with a mama or future mama you know. Until next time, keep on pumping.